Welcome back to Coffee Books. Today we are continuing on from page 75 in the book The Curious Barista's Guide to Coffee, which was written by Tristan Stevenson. Let's begin. Water. Discussing the quality of water you use in coffee normally provokes a roll of the eyes from those who have yet to discover the monumental impact it really has. Water fulfills two roles in coffee brewing. First, as an ingredient, where it represents at least 90% of the cup of coffee, and second, as a solvent, where it is used to extract soluble flavor from ground coffee. The first of these roles can easily be managed by a simple taste test. If your water tastes bad before you brew with it, it will almost certainly be reflected in the resulting cup. Water used to make coffee should contain no chlorine taste, so I'd advise using bottled mineral water in your kettle instead of water straight from the tap or faucet, or filtering your water before using it. Either of these steps will help to improve the flavor of your coffee. Water as a solvent is slightly tougher to get your head around, but no less impactful in respect to cup quality. With the exception of water that has been completely demineralized, all water contains some dissolved particles and we broadly refer to this as the water's hardness. More specifically, it's calcium carbonate, also known as lime scale, that is responsible. Just to give you an idea of the difference in water's hardness according to the area in which you live, I grew up in Cornwall in the rural southwest of the UK, where the tap water was very soft comprising around 70 parts per million, or ppm, of total dissolved solids, or TDS. I later moved to London, where the tap water is very hard, containing around 400 parts per million TDS. You can buy an inexpensive TDS meter to measure your own, but TDS only tells you how much stuff is lurking in the water, not the specific chemical breakdown. Your local water supply should be able to provide you with that information, however. Common minerals and compounds found in hard water are magnesium, fluoride, sodium, chlorine, and a whole array of mineral salts. Some level of these are acceptable, while others should be tackled with a zero-tolerance policy. See the table on the right. Very hard water, or high TDS, seems to make a poor solvent and is therefore harder to brew with. This is probably because it already contains more soluble content and is that little bit closer to its saturation point. As a result, it extracts less, or less of the desirable stuff at least, from the coffee. This would lead one to think that demineralized water makes the best brewing water, but weirdly, and I have yet to find an explanation for this, it would appear that some level of TBS, or TDS, above 70 parts per million, ideally, is desirable. The SCAA, Specialty Coffee Association of America, recommends the following acceptable range for brewing water. Total chlorine, zero milligrams per liter. TDS, 75 to 250 milligrams per liter. Calcium hardness, 17 to 85 milligrams per liter. Total alkalinity, at or near 40 milligrams per liter. pH, 6.5 to 7.5. And sodium, at or near 10 milligrams per liter. Water temperature. The best temperature for brewing co coffee is between 90 to 95 degrees Celsius 
or 195 to 205 degrees Fahrenheit. The opposite ends of this scale do produce a different style of cup. Water temperature is perhaps an area of coffee geekery that has become overstated. Top of the range espresso machines are now, supposedly at least, capable of adjusting the temperature of water by one-tenth of a degree, which is almost as impressive as it is over-engineered for the purpose. It is generally accepted that darker roasts prefer the lower end of the scale, and lighter roasts prefer the higher end, which is largely to do with the higher density, or lighter roasted, bean requiring a little more coercion to give up the goods. But in an instance where a cup is not tasting quite right, I wouldn't advise anyone to tinker too much with the water temperature until all other avenues, grind size, brew ratio, brew time, water quality, and coffee quality have been explored. To get the right temperature at home, I would advise boiling the water and leaving it to sit for two minutes, or simply adding a splash of cold water before pouring. If you have one, it's worth using a digital thermometer to check exactly if your water sits in the correct range. Extraction, Strength, and Brew Ratio Getting a handle on extraction is the key to success in every single type of coffee brewing. Badly managed extraction is the most common cause of overly bitter, sour, weak, astringent, and insipid coffee. Good extraction is the source of all that is delicious in a cup of coffee, through the clarity of flavor it provides, flavor markers identifying variety, origin, processing, and roast style become evident in the finished cup. The physical extraction of the coffee gives rise to flavor-giving soluble solids and gases, along with insoluble particles of coffee fiber, proteins, and oils that can contribute to the body and texture of the coffee. Extraction is, not to put too fine a point on it, the singularly most important goal in coffee brewing and the common cause around which all brewing variables fight towards. Secondary to extraction, but still of great significance, is the strength. This can be a confusing term, not least because we are used to seeing strength guides on instant coffee, which are really communicating how well-pronounced the darker elements of the coffee are. Put simply, strength is the percentage of your cup that isn't water. It might seem obvious, but mixing the appropriate amount of coffee and water, known as the brew ratio, will be the defining factor in how intense or subtle your coffee tastes. And this is one area that comes down to personal taste. Variables of extraction. Good extraction can be achieved in a range of different brew ratios, but to do this, a myriad of other factors must be considered. Without a doubt, the two factors with the most clout are the grind size and the contact time. Decrease the grind size, and the surface area of the coffee increases, which increases the rate of extraction. Drag out the contact time, and the extraction will increase too. Balancing these two variables, whatever the brewing method, will garner you a good footing on the path to a balanced and tasty cup. Playing with grind, dose, and contact time is also a big part of the beauty of coffee brewing. Discovering the unknown and creating something that has never been tasted before. For example, there is no set-in-stone way to brew on AeroPress. As long as the grind size is appropriate to the brew time, there are an infinite number of doses 
that will make for delicious results. Within the subject of contact, we must discuss the topic of percolated coffee, or coffee made from brew water that is poured through a bed of ground beans and left to drip through a filter, which includes such brewing methods as espresso, see pages 104 to 108, filter, page 138 to 147, and to some extent, siphon brewing, page 152 to 155, and the mocha pot, page 131 to 133. In this scenario, we find that brew ratio, grind size, and brew time are all relative to one another, since the coffee acts as a barrier of resistance against the flow of liquid. The next important factor is brewing temperature. As with most things in the universe, the higher the temperature, the faster the reaction that takes place. In the case of coffee, this means quicker extraction at higher temperatures. There is also the matter of extraction threshold. For certain compounds, caffeine for example, extracts even at very low temperatures, under 30 degrees Celsius or 86 degrees Fahrenheit, but certain astringent compounds will only extract at near 100 degrees Celsius or 212 degrees Fahrenheit which is why we avoid using water above 95 degrees Celsius or 205 degrees Fahrenheit. There are other factors too. The degree of agitation or turbulence in the brewing water also affects the rate of extraction, which itself is connected to the pressure of the water, which in the case of espresso, forces itself in and out of the porous structure of the grounds. If you've ever needed to brew a cup of tea quickly, you'd have noticed that a quick stir darkens the brew much faster than simply allowing the tea bag to hang around in the hot water. In coffee brewing, a quick stir or slow agitation during brewing, or a specific ritual for pouring water and wetting grounds, can yield different results by increasing the efficiency of the brewing process. Some baristas hold their pouring technique, the stages in which water is added, and the pattern in which it is poured, in almost supernatural regard. And since water can be poured in an infinite number of ways, this becomes yet another element of coffee brewing that proves difficult to communicate. Coffee freshness can also distort an extraction, where very fresh coffee releases lots of carbon dioxide, which behaves like a force field, preventing proper contact between coffee and water. For this reason, coffee intended for espresso brewing must be rested for at least five days before brewing. Otherwise, the forces exerted on the coffee inside the filter basket make for a battle between gas and water, where coffee is the ultimate loser. Indeed, all coffee must be rested for 8 hours before it can be ground and brewed, lest the carbon dioxide upset the brewing process. Thank you for listening. We'll leave off here today in the middle of page 78 and continue on next morning. Until then, good day and good coffee, friends. Thank you.